This is a Daily Planet special news bulletin. Lois and Clark is our jam. We're talking about Terry Dean and Superman. We'll cover it all. At least we'll do what we can. And now it's time for the show. Welcome to a very special episode of Lois and Clark, the new podcast of Superman. I'm Matt Truex. And I'm Ryan Albertson. And today, a third episode, guys, we've already got a member of the Superman Lois and Clark creative team. Which... Right. A wonderful guest. We have Bryce Zabel. Yes. Uh, author, uh, author, writer of um, episode 102, Strange Visitor from Another Planet, 108, Green Green Glove of Home, and 10-something else. All shook up. Um, also, the author of a new book uh, called uh, Surrounded by Enemies, What If Kennedy Had Survived Dallas, which um, uh, we talk about a little bit in this interview, too. But uh, Bryce was awesome in the interview you're about to hear. Totally trusted us. So, so you guys know, we interviewed him way before any episode was up. Like, this is early November that we're talking to you right now, and we don't premiere episodes till December. So he trusted us blind the only thing i sent him as proof that we were an actual show was the picture of you and i as superman and lois with your head on terry hatcher well so clearly he saw my head on terry hatcher and knew we had a hit on our hands yeah exactly so really really nice of him uh to give us uh, so much of his time tonight but what you're about to hear is our phone interview with bryce um talking about uh, his love of, of Superman, his work on the show, uh, some other projects that he's famous for, Dark Skies, uh, and and the books we mentioned before. Um, it just an awesome guy who, who was able to give us a, a lot of his time. Yeah, yeah, had some really interesting stories. So yeah, yeah, n- not just about Lois and Clark too, though. Uh, there there are a couple of Lois and Clark stories that should uh, get you get you pretty hooked actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we hope you enjoy the interview here and. Uh, and we'll see you on the other side and talk about uh, plans for Lois and Clark's future. So take it away, past us. Um, all right, so it's Matt and Ryan here with, with our very first guest from uh, Lois and Clark. Uh, you know him as writer and supervising producer for the first season. Uh, also worked on Dark Skies, Atlantis, author of a new book out, Surrend- Surrounded by Enemies, What If Kennedy Had Survived. Please welcome Bryce Zabel. Hi, Bryce. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Great to be with you guys. Thanks for having me on. Uh, thank you for uh, for coming and talking with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, the pleasure's all ours. Okay, well, let's <laughs> let's talk some Superman stuff here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, just real quick, I, I know you, you have a limited amount of time. Um, I have all the time in the world. <laughs> <laughs> are you um, kidding well, me? Well, going back here, um, uh, I know you are kind of a jack of all trades. Looking at your IMDb, at your Wikipedia, sure. at your website, there's there's a lot of projects. What specifically was something that set you on a path towards TV writing early on? Well, that's interesting. Uh, well, I was a TV uh, news reporter originally, and mm-hmm. I had come to L.A. as a as a CNN correspondent, actually. And, um, you know, if you're a TV, on-air TV guy, you sort of have to look forward to, uh, I'll, you know, f- frankly, as a correspondent, a lot of dangerous places. And, and at best, as an anchor, you're going to be moving all the time. So... Uh, my wife suggested I try writing a screenplay, and and so I did, and I sold it, and they made a TV series out of it. And I I said, as long as they keep paying me to do this, I'll keep doing it. So I've just kept kind of doing it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Did you write it as as a screenplay or as a pilot? Or I wrote a, a spec pilot, and uh, now, of course, everyone's writing spec pilots. But I've been in the business long enough that when I wrote a spec pilot, that was a terrible thing to do. Nobody was doing that. And my agents were angry originally because they wanted me to write an episode of an existing series that was already on the air. But, sure. you know, things change. The market has changed over the years. The market for what people are watching uh, has certainly changed. But one thing that never changes, by the way, is uh, your passion and, and mine. Because if you think about it, there's ever since he's been out, there's been a Superman incarnation of one kind or another. And so... And it was kind of fun to get to work on that. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I see. That was that was another question I had. Given your episodes, uh, especially in season one, you're the guy that talks most about Superman mythos. You're introducing Kryptonite and Krypton, and and uh, you do the remake of the George Reeves episode later on. Was there yeah. was, there were Superman roots early on? I'm assuming. Sure. You know, it's funny. I was just uh, in advance of coming on here. I I just thought I'd look up and see what Wikipedia had about the. Lois and Clark. And I thought it was very funny. The very first thing it says is the Superman's birthday was May 17th. And uh, that's my birthday. I, and I had to laugh because <laughs> oh, wow. I, you know, somebody had to have a birthday back then. We needed it for some reason. And so I said, May 17th. And I kept thinking it would change. Not only did it not change, there it is in Wikipedia. If it's in Wikipedia, it must be true. It as must we all be know. true. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the law of the internet. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I did. I for, I went off on that rant. I don't even know what. What was the question? What are we talking about? Oh yeah. Uh, what was? Uh, I, I guess the question is, what was your first? Oh. Exposure to Superman. What got you interested? Sure. What you know? Well, um, you know. Uh, I guess I should just give up trying to date myself. I go back a while. <laughs> I remember uh, as a as a young kid. Um, seeing Superman comics in a pharmacy uh, because they sold comic books. This is a small town. And I just remember, I always associated the early Superman comics that I read with uh, the smell of, you know, being in a pharmacy, you know, that kind of medicinal thing. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say I loved him. I would, the air. Yeah, that. exactly. I would take him home and I'd read him and I'd read him again and again. And uh, I think, though, um, ultimately I turned into a Marvel kid as a, as a young man Um but I always have had the you know the most affection for Superman because you always remember the first right. Absolutely. So Superman's that yeah. Well, that that's a beautiful little spinner rack story. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but you know um, I, I also uh, remember getting out of um, grade school mm -hmm. and literally running home or biking home as fast as I could because uh, I believe at 3.30 in the afternoon is when they had re-airs uh, you know, of the uh, the Adventures of Superman. Uh -huh. And because there wasn't a v VCR available at that time, uh, you just had to be there. <laughs> you know, you had to show up. So I showed up on my couch every day at 3.30 and, and watched Superman. And uh, so that was always great. And, and um, so I think my, those are the, the two main ones. Although it's interesting, a friend of my, a good friend of my wife's is, uh, is uh, Jerry Siegel's daughter, um, Laura really? Siegel. And um, so we've been friends and we've known, you know, them for for years. So. Oh, that's fantastic. You've got the lineage there. Yeah, that's that's quite a strong link. Um, yeah. So did you ever get an opportunity to meet Jerry Siegel? I actually did uh, when uh, 
the uh, the new adventures of Superman, uh, Lois and Clark was uh, debuting. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was some kind of dinner over at Warner Brothers. I, I can't remember the exact context of it, but I ended up sitting next to Jerry for the evening and his wife. And, uh, you know, that was terrific. Oh, um, yeah. You know, I mean, it's just one of those things. He was a great guy. And, and certainly as a writer, I have a lot of, uh, you know, respect for what he was able to create and, and uh, support his writer's rights, if you will. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm also friends with Stan Lee, you know, and if you think about it, look at the two different ways those two men were treated by their respective comic book companies. Matt just almost fainted, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Stan, you know, has has look, I don't know the details of his deal with Marvel, but he's got a nice enough deal deal and they treat him so well and with such good respect and he's having a great time. And, you know, it's it's just been nice. And, you know, I think it's uh, it's really uh it was all, it was turning around obviously at the time when uh, Jerry was um, you know when I met Jerry but mm-hmm. but you know let's face it it, it 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 was a hard hard road to go for that guy but I don't know any more about it so let's just move on I mean he he's he's a, someone we all respect and admire oh, yeah. and, and thankfully now getting getting the rights that he deserved even though he didn't for a, yes. a good long while yeah he has um, at least has the they, you know the moral rights if you will yeah, yeah. absolutely absolutely. Um, so, so before that dinner you're talking about, right. you had to get involved with the show somehow. What, what yes. was the first uh, interaction with the show, I guess? Well, um, I had worked uh, for an ABC series called Equal Justice uh, the season, the year before, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, might have even been two years before. And I had worked with uh, a woman named Deborah Joy Levine, who became who we became very good friends working on the show. We were both kind of the staff writers at the time. A couple of years, I think it was a couple of years later, and then Deborah got hired to write the pilot for Lois and Clark. Yep. And uh, the pilot was very successful, and it got ordered to series. And... Um, well, in fact, it got ordered to series before the pilot was even shot. I came aboard, I think, a couple of months before the pilot was shot. And it was basically Deborah Joy Levine, myself, and her brother Dan uh, he, Dan Levine, who uh, was also on the show. And the three of us sat in a trailer, uh, I think, <laughs> at, at Warner Brothers for about a, about a two-month period, just talking over it. And then eventually we got better offices. And I remember, you know, one of the things that happened one day, uh, a delivery guy just showed up and dumped like a thousand Superman comics on us. So, you know, if you, you know, and the problem about, you know, developing Superman is that there's been so much you, even if you tried to catch up with everything, you couldn't. And, and so a lot of what happens is you just have to say, okay, I know what the basics are now. How are we going to deal with them in this new context? Uh, and so far, I think everybody's been pretty successful. I just saw Supergirl a couple of uh, weeks ago, I guess, or not quite a couple of weeks ago, and I thought it was quite good. And yeah. In fact, it reminded me in tone a little bit of Lois and Clark. I agree. Certainly closer so, to so Lois and Clark than some of the others. Somewhat yeah. of a, a sister show almost uh, yeah. those years later. I think so. I mean, yeah. uh, clearly, and you know, it had a lot of, uh, I, I think that, that's certainly something, you know, Man of Steel is not a very humorous take on mm-hmm. Superman. Lois and Clark had a lot of humor in it. I think Supergirl has a lot of humor in it. Um, but it doesn't detract from the, you know, the power of the hero. The hero is still the hero. He's a great guy. He's a great character. Absolutely. And on that, too, you know, given the different interpretations and whatnot, um, when you were in that trailer talking about the first season of stories, were, were there talks about what had come before or were there any edicts from DC of W? And WB of what you could or, or couldn't do with the characters? 
Uh, you know, that was the thing. There there weren't a lot of edicts. Uh, and, and the problem about edicts is you hate to ask for them. If you sort of <laughs> ask somebody to tell you what the edicts are, then you'll end up being told not to do things. So we didn't, I don't think, uh, ask too much. We just started, we felt that there was a mandate. And obviously, uh, uh, Deborah was in the midst of uh, polishing up the pilot at that time. So the, the, the template had been laid out. We did have a, I, I, just one specific thing. I think uh, the it was our thought that somehow we were going to uh, take all the red out of the costume and replace it with black, something really? like that. Wow. Something, something odd and different, um, which, of course, the comics play around with that all the time. But, you know, when you go to the, 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 the franchise as it's going to be on TV or film, people care a little bit more. You can't be quite as experimental. And I recall that that was obviously one of the things they turned down. That's where DC did wade in and say, no, you can't do that. And I, and I do recall DC, you know, was they were concerned about it because obviously when Lois and Clark was going on, there hadn't been anything other than Superboy. Um, right. Most recently, so uh, I think they were concerned that the transition go very well for them, and and I think it did. Oh, uh, very interesting. Um, uh, and during that time too, uh, it's strange that they would take it back when they were going to do the death of Superman in the comics and, and put him right. in a black costume anyway. <laughs> that's maybe, and you know what? Now that you mention it, that's probably why they did it. That is probably it because oh, I yeah, do remember it was it, it was very themselves. strange rebooting Superman for TV at a time when the death of Superman was sort of uh, all the rage, you know, uh, in the, in the pop culture out there. So very interesting. Um, and I remember that was a pretty, you know, I'd obviously fallen away from reading Superman regularly over the years. And it was a kind of an interesting time to dive back into it and start reading, um, all about the death of Superman, which I, I never quite understood exactly. He never really died, I guess. I mean, he came back, so everything yeah. was well. I, uh, I tend to agree with you, but yeah. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, so just thinking about the whole process of develop, developing the show and whatnot, was there um, like a particular strategy you guys adopted as far as deciding what kind of storylines you were going to deal with? Were you guys doing pitch sessions in the room or, or were you guys kind of just uh, working them out individually? Well, first of all, just to make sure that it, you know, what, what is what is spelled out. Deborah Joy Levine was the, you know, was the Uber producer and the creator of, or the developer of the show. And, and, uh, you know, we, we, you know, she set the tone and the tone was that this was to be a, a story where Lois had equal billing to Clark and, that's part one. And part two, that Clark actually uh, was the primary and dominant personality and not Superman. So those were two kind of interesting mandates, if you will, um, sort of positive edicts, if you will. Uh, we sort of uh, – we broke uh, – we broke stories together, pretty much all of us. Uh, when Deborah had producing issues, uh, it was my job as a supervising producer to keep the room running. The room pretty well ran. We had a, a lot of good writers in it, and and you know we would uh, I, I, we didn't do a lot of freelance. I think we did three or four freelance episodes. Mostly it was staff written, um, and and a good time had by all. Got a little political at the end. Um, I went on to run Mantis for Fox, so I was sort of spared some of that. But I think most of the um, the first season uh, creative staff uh, and even a couple of the actors got swept out when uh, when they came back. Yeah, I was going to ask about that, and knowing that you were 
only uh, season one. Were, were, did you leave before the end of season one? Before before no. the Levines took off? Or no, no, I made it all the way through season one. Um, it's just that I had a job lined up. Basically, as the as the door was closing at Warner's, I was moving over to Universal to do the Mantis TV show. Um, <laughs> right up the hill. Yeah, well, it was. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Um, and particularly because things were getting tough. But I listen. I had. Uh, a terrific, phenomenal year working on uh, Lois and Clark because I got the chance to write three very iconic episodes. If you think about it, I wrote literally the first episode that aired after the pilot, which was called Strange Visitor from Another Planet, which basically tells the uh, Superman origin story, uh, uh, you know, and, and it's just rife with all this wonderful stuff in it that I got a chance to write for the first time. Uh, then I also wrote the green, green glow of home, which was the kryptonite episode and the Smallville episode. So Lois goes to Smallville with him. He encounters kryptonite, which ironically it's his dad that turns him on to it. Um, yeah. sadly. And then the third episode I got to write was, uh, a rewrite of the great Jackson Gillis, um, episode from the adventures of Superman, the episode called panic in the sky, um, I got it. That was the only uh, episode from the earlier series from the 50s that was actually selected because of its iconic status to get the rewrite job. And I, so I felt very um, honored that I was the guy that got to do it. And, and actually, I think all shook up, which is what we called our our episode, our rewrite, I think is one of the more successful episodes. It's got a good heart to it and it seems kind of complex and interesting. And so it was a great run and I have uh, only positive things to say about it, to be honest with you. Yeah. Not, not, I swear to God, not because you're on the line, but we just covered uh, green, green glow home last week on, on as a regular uh, episode. And we both pretty much agreed. It, it's the best episode of the show so, so far. far, you know? Yeah, yeah that well. was I'm I'm uh, personally new to the show, and that particular episode was definitely the most oh, how, for me. How nice of you guys to say yeah, that! I mean, it was the the chemistry between Clark and uh, Terry Hatcher, because uh, I'm a loser, <laughs> Lois rather, uh, was just re- it was really fun to see see that kind of start developing. So yeah, nice nice work, man. And, and you know, think about this: uh, as a writer on on uh, Lois and Clark, you would have been extremely happy to write the Smallville episode. Oh, absolutely. Right? Or you would have been extremely happy to write the Kryptonite episode. <laughs> but to be the guy that writes the Kryptonite and the Smallville episode all rolled into one nice little package with, uh, you know, the UFO hunters in it. I mean, yeah. that was pretty pretty phenomenal luck on my part to get to write that one. I was really, um, uh, you know, blessed with it. But but it was also right up in my alley. I mean, um, one of the things I guess I've been attracted to over the years is sort of reinterpreting mythology of, of, of some established iconic characters. And so that was, you know, truly a great mythology piece, the, um, the, the Smallville kryptonite episode, the Green Green Glow of Home. So you know, mythology, what I love, and, and which, by the way, you were kind enough to mention, I'm just going to put a quick little plug in, but oh, speaking please. of reinterpreting mythology, just this week, I have a new book out. It's, as you mentioned, it's called Surrounded by Enemies. Uh, what if uh, Kennedy survived Alice? And the idea behind this book is it's book number one in a series of books that will all be these alternate history what if books. Oh, very um, cool. So the first one's JFK. Next year, uh, uh, I have a book coming out called Once There Was a Way, What If the Beatles Stayed Together? So uh-huh. we're going for the big, high-concept, <laughs> fun ones. And um, I'm very proud of Surrounded by Enemies. I hope people who hear this might might take a look at it because uh, one of the things about the Kennedy uh 
uh, bit is that a lot of people have always assumed, well, if he if he survived, then it would all just been this you know this beautiful thing. None of the bad stuff of the '60s would have happened, and it would all have just turned out just fantastic. I don't take that position, even though I love John Kennedy. My my attitude is, you know, the guy had some serious enemies out there and, who wished him harm, and uh, things could have, the the ride through the '60s could have continued to be a little bumpy. Anyway, just wanted to put that plug in here. Superman, JFK, the Beatles, that's what I'm about here. <laughs> yeah, oh, th- that sounds all- – I didn't realize it was going to be a series too. That sounds that sounds fantastic. Well, I hope so. And uh, ideally, I'm writing it also to be the intellectual property uh, that could be a miniseries. So you might have book oh, one cool. is, is JFK and so season one could be JFK and season two could be the Beatles. So maybe, maybe, hopefully, fingers <laughs> crossed, coming to a TV screen or a, actually you can watch it on any screen you want if I'm lucky enough to get to make it. Yeah, right <laughs> on. Um, uh, while we're on the subject too, uh, where is that available? Um, Amazon or through your site? Yeah, it's, it's everywhere. I mean, I always tell people Amazon because it's the simplest. Sure. You can obviously get it. You can go to your bookstore and probably get it. It, um, or any of the other uh, outfits, um, but it's it's widely available. It's um, and and I I think what I'm looking forward to is this year. Uh, it's not in competition with uh, you know a few years ago it was the 50th anniversary and all these Kennedy books were out there. <laughs> uh, this is a, at least a more open field and and I hope I can get some people's attention with it. It's um it's truly was an extraordinary thing. Uh, alternate history. Uh, it's just it's a great way to park your mind. And this book went on actually and just won something called the Sidewise Award for Alternate History. I saw that online. Congratulations. Thank you. I mean, it's a cool award because Philip Roth won it. And uh, I never can pronounce the guy's name, but I, it's uh, Michael Chabon, I think, or yeah. however we pronounce it. But these are famous guys, and I was delighted to be in that that group. And and so now it's going to be something I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to knock out an alternate history book once a year for as long as I can keep it up. Oh, awesome. Congratulations. Very Thank cool. You. Yeah, that's really cool. And it, it, see, it seems like that alternative history idea is something you've been interested in generally for a while, because I know Dark Skies kind of had uh, a little bit of that tone to it, you know, you bet. looking at old uh, historical moments with uh, through a different lens. Um, I was kind of reading up and watching some uh, clips from that today. It's right up my alley. I really want to uh, Dark Skies check some was, of that out. was one of the great, I mean, look, uh, Superman uh, and Lois and Clark was certainly one experience that's a fantastic experience. But you're dealing essentially with someone else's creation. And so what you're really uh, in that situation, you're a steward of the history and you want to get it right. But your job is not to you know, break bold new territory, but to treat it respectfully. The deal with Dark Skies for me was, I mean, that was just a crazy idea that came out of my head and Brent Friedman's head that we got given like $44 million in budget to make these 20 hours of TV. Wow. It's probably one of the most subversive TV shows ever made because it basically says that everything that happened in the 1960s was uh, wrapped up somehow in the UFO mystery because there was, uh, a, you know, a, a, the, a, the cover up and the pilot of Dark Skies. And the reason I say it's the most subversive show around, the the pilot of Dark Skies is about how John Kennedy got assassinated because he was going to tell the truth about UFOs in his second term. Right. Oh, so, very cool. So you see, now I've come back full circle to writing about John Kennedy, but to make it clear, obviously, <laughs> these two are not related. They're not the same universe as the book I've just written. There's nothing 
euphological about it. It's just like, what would have happened if he hadn't been killed? And my contention is that Jack Kennedy and Bobby Kennedy, if, if Jack had gotten out of Dallas alive, I think the two Kennedy brothers would have become the world's first conspiracy theorists because these guys would have known that it wasn't just a lone gunman that tried to shoot at the president. Sure, sure. I was uh, listening to an interview uh, with you and your uh, co-creator about that, and you guys mentioned kind of you know, combining the UFO uh, conspiracy concept with the JFK assassination concept. And uh, you referred to it as like a uh, grand unified theory of conspiracy. And that's actually become kind of a thing in that uh, community, which I, I found kind of fascinating. Did you you guys maybe coined that term? Well, I'll tell you something. When Brent and I created Dark Skies, I had never read word one ever anywhere that JFK had anything going on with UFOs. So we make a TV show about it and write all this stuff about it. And now you can go Google it on the internet and you'll see all kinds of people talking about it. Did did they get it from me? No, I doubt it. But, but you know, I guess ideas were in the air. But Brent and I did say that what we wanted to do, we said the, great, the two greatest mysteries of modern time are who killed JFK and are UFOs real? So uh, our th- theory right in presenting, yeah, <laughs> in presenting the grand unification theory of conspiracy was to put these two disparate conspiracies into an atom collider and smash them together and see what happened. Now, to get back to you know the whole alternative history thing, the Dark Skies TV series, which, by the way, was first and came before this Dark Skies movie that I didn't have anything to do with. But the Dark Skies TV series... Um, because of the how it sort of posited that uh, the UFO mystery was being unfolded during the 60s, but we made it all part of the backdrop. Technically, dark skies is what people, you know, and people fight over these terms. Technically, dark skies is what's called hidden history because okay. yeah. you're not really creating an alternate historical timeline. You're saying everything that happened in the timeline that you know as a citizen of the world who reads history, that did happen, but there were things happening in the background that you didn't know about. Yeah, so it's a hidden works. history, although it's kind of an arcane difference to, to most people. And but, but I am drawn to those things. I like to mess with history, which would probably make my father, who's not with us anymore, uh, but, but would have made him crazy because he was a high school history teacher. <laughs> <laughs> he had a lot of trouble getting you kids rebel to pay attention. Though, right? Oh, my gosh. I guess that was my rebellion. I think he'd be proud of it, though, because, um, you know, one of the great things while I was writing the JFK book was just I found an old, you know, paperback copy of his uh, Profiles and Courage written by John Kennedy. And it was like 35 cents, this, uh, you know, I mean, oh, wow. you can't get you can't get a candy bar for 35 cents. But here was an entire book for 35 cents. And my father, being a history teacher, had underlined things in it and written in the margins. And the thing was just, you know, chock full of his insight and observations. And I thought, you know, what a great gift. Uh, and, and, I, and it actually changed how I read books. I no longer try to keep any book pristine. I immediately start writing in it. I take a highlighter to it. I bend pages down. I really try to live in the books I'm researching yeah. uh, because, you know, listen, um, that's my process. My process is to find out everything I can know. And I do that through a lot of reading. Sure, sure. Just to uh, try and wrap things back sure. over towards <laughs> Superman. Let's go flying um, back into Metropolis. There yeah, you go. That's, that's yeah. we need more. You should. You should be. <laughs> yeah, the, you, you should, should be the co-host. Zoom. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, given given your interest in that sort of thing, you know, uh, it's interesting that you kind of introduced Men in Black style characters in your in your first two episodes of the show. Was that intentional? 
Yes, because listen, I'm one of the you know few people who I would consider to be a semi expert on UFOs who work out in her here in Hollywood, and and I didn't make up Men in Black, and neither did Sony. Men in Black go back to 1953 when the first people started talking about it in connection with flying saucers, and um, the the Men in so I did put Men in Black in uh, the Dark Skies TV series, and ironically, uh, Sony was also getting prepared to release Men in Black. My script was actually written two years before the Men in Black feature, oh, but weird. Sony was getting prepared to release their Men in Black at the same time as our series was going out. And literally Spielberg and uh, Sonnenfeld, the director, complained. And uh, we were told at Sony to get our characters out of black uh, immediately. Wow. And I proceeded <laughs> to say to the Sony executives at the time, I, you know, I called them up and said, you know, I think you're overreacting because this stuff goes back to 1953. This is an established comp uh, component of ufology. And, and that's what our series is about. And I made all my arguments. Sure. The executive listens to me and he says, Bryce, let me make this very clear to you. You're either getting your actors out of their black suits today or I'm coming down to the set and we're going to close down your production and burn your negative. Oh my God. <laughs> That's a quote that I have never gotten out of my head. Uh. We will come down and to your set, close the production and burn your negative. So we had to take all of our characters out of black, which is probably a longer story than you were expecting, but you know, <laughs> life is weird in Hollywood. Yeah, that's and, crazy. Uh, that's one of them. <laughs> that's not, uh, that's crazy. Yeah, actually. You, you, you hear all about these nightmare production stories and then that's a pretty solid. We, we literally in our final, we had to shoot a second version of the pilot in our second version of the pilot. They're wearing blue suits and brown suits and tan suits, <laughs> and, you know, but not and gray suits, but not black suits. Yeah. And they couldn't be called men in black. I couldn't call them men in black. So we had to call them, we called them something else. I think we called them cloakers. We had to give them a sort of an, another well, name. Yeah. Cloakers was cool. Yeah, uh, but you know, it was a weird time in, in my life. I thought we were going back to Metropolis. We yeah. got to go, <laughs> yeah. we got to get back with Clark and Lois. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, real quick. And then, uh, and then we'll let you go. I just had a couple more questions. Um, both of us, um, aspiring writers would, would love to be in any of the positions you've been talking about tonight. Um, wh when working on a show from the first season, especially even you being in the door before the pilot is shot, um, when you're coming up with story for characters that, that you haven't seen the actors uh, really, really live in those roles yet, uh, is it somewhat akin to writing a spec script uh, or, or a screenplay, or is there adjustments made after, say, Terry Hatcher or Dean Cain take oh. the role over? Well, that's, I mean, well, first of all, working the first season of any series is one of the greatest joys ever. I've kind of specialized in it, not necessarily by desire, but that's just <laughs> what happened. I was on a lot of first seasons and you do have an open playing field of creativity and it's, it's really wonderful. And there's nothing that makes you better as a writer than to write stuff and then have people get cast in those roles and read those lines because that teaches you what works and what doesn't. And you get very instinctive and you get very good, very fast. It's, it's a wonderful teaching um, laboratory to be on a, a, a series that's in production. But in answer to your question, absolutely. Once the actor is cast, uh, you, you write every episode 
with that person in mind. I mean, how can you not? Because now you are, you know, typing uh, stories up that are on this very large canvas, this tableau, not just of, of, of an hour, but of 20 hours or 60 hours um, or Do more. Do you remember any like specific adjustments you made for either Dean Cain or Terry Hatcher, who were absolutely sure. now? <laughs> sure, absolutely. Um, in fact, I was there the day Dean got cast. Oh, wow. um, and he didn't know he was cast yet, but all those of us that were in the, the room were like, okay. I mean, it was sort of like, we're going with Dean Cain unless, unless we're not going with Dean Cain. Right. So we, we met sure. with them and, and, uh, I remember walking out of the building with him cause I really liked him. He's just such a likable guy. Uh, walked out of the building and I said, man, your life is going to change. And he goes, <laughs> you think so? And I go, dude, you do not get cast to be Superman and not have your life change. Of course, now I suppose, you know, Brandon Ru- Ruth or whatever his name is pronounced. He probably could say, well, it didn't change my life that much. Yeah, uh, the exception proves the rule though. I mean, right. But, but I will say Dean, uh, okay. So what, what, how do you, how do you dial their persons into their character? Well, Dean is just an essentially decent, honest, wonderful human being. You know, I'm still friends with Dean. He's a nice guy. To know him is to like him. So he brings that likability to Clark and Superman. You know, his Superman is a more likable Superman than, you know, obviously the current Man of Steel Superman, because, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, don't, you can't hide your decency. But, but again, we didn't want to do that. We were doing a show called Lois and Clark with a lighter touch. Terry is just um, uh, an insanely great actress, and she can do anything that you throw at her. She's just really terrific, and she had so many levels on that spectrum of acting ability. So what you would do with, you know, uh, what you would do with Terry is you'd just say, well, you know, what can I throw at this woman? Cause she's so good at it. And, and I remember that my most fond moment of working I, on uh, Lois and Clark for me was that first episode, strange visitor from another planet. And it ends with the scene that I just am so thrilled that I got the chance to write. And it is Lois's first interview with Superman. Absolutely. Now, in the in the Christopher Reeve movie, that's the iconic moment when he tells her what color panties she's wearing, right? <laughs> and it's really, you know, so it's intimidating to say, how am I going to, you know, how does this work? You know, how do I capture this? And I would, uh, I actually have it on my YouTube site, um, this clip. And I, I think it ties up what you guys were just talking about. You wouldn't. I wouldn't have written it quite exactly the way I wrote it unless I knew Dean Kane and I, unless I knew Terry, because I'd seen their work already in the pilot uh, when when I was writing this episode, Strange Visitor, and I just had him in my head. And and I think if you watch that, you go, Wow, Dean, great guy, decent guy. You know, no wonder she's you know thinks he's such a great hunk. When you see Lois though, and man. Terry just acts the hell out of that thing. And not not acting in a big way, but I mean acting in a subtle, wonderful, mm-hmm. nuanced way where you just go, you totally get the possibility of what is going to happen in the lives of these two people. And it's not just because this one dude can fly. It's because they're going to be in love and it's going to be a great love story. So I'm, I was just thrilled that 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 that. that, that um, scene rather got to be in my portfolio i'm very happy about that yeah as a fan even watching it as a kid i always i always remember that scene and and, you know in conjunction with uh 
like you're saying, Superman the movie. I, I just remember liking yours a lot more, actually. So, <laughs> well, you know, here's the thing. Here's what TV does to you, and, and not and less so today. I mean, the, some of the effects in Supergirl were, you know, outstanding for TV effects. I yeah, thought, um, the way she flies, and you know, sort of, it's it, it starts a little slower, and then it's a zip. Um, you know, it's not classic flying like uh, like done before. It's very nice uh, in the features. Uh, you tend to have the budget is not the problem. It's a tentpole movie. They know it's going to make a ton of money, and they know they have to show people something that that will excite them that hopefully they haven't seen before. So the sky's the limit, literally, on the kind of effects and and scenes that you can construct. If you can think of it, they'll do it. That's not true in TV. You know, it was, you know, a flying scene for us didn't look that great, and it still took up half the day. Sure. Um, so w- what you have to do in a television series is, and I've, I've done like three, uh, hero series now, if you will, I've done Lois and Clark and Mantis and also the crow. And what you have to understand when you do those to keep them on budget is you basically get, um, one either good effects moment or one good fight and one great effects moment and one great fight. You know, you get, you get a medium and maybe a small, you might get a small medium and a large, right? (laughs) But but uh, you, that's, that's not going to tell your story. You've really got to de- dive into the characters and make them work because that's what you're left with. Um, and, and now, again, um, it seems they're able to accomplish both things with Supergirl right now, and I wish them well. I mean, it's, I'd love to be on the show right now. It's a great show. Um, but you, I, I do think that um, TV will always be a more intimate medium, and I think it's really, um, you know, the writing uh, is as good as ever in television, and so um, that's good for a, a hero show because you have to really get let these people live. They Absolutely. have to really become real people. Be the heroes they are, right? Yes, right. yeah. And um, the real people they are at the same time. That's what's fun about it, I think. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Uh, last question here, then we're sure. going to let you go. Re- real nerdy question, but, but writing – the show, and I know I'm taking you back a while with all these questions. Uh, was there a favorite character for you to write? I mean, was it Lois or Superman, or was it Jimmy or Perry? Or Perry's pretty fun. interesting. <laughs> well, okay, um, I will answer that, but let me get there. Um, Perry White was played by Lane Smith. Uh, Lane Smith was an actor that I cast on the very first TV series I ever created, something for NBC uh, called K. O'Brien. So I knew Lane. Uh, a, for a decade before Lois and Clark. So uh, did I love to write for Lane? I, I loved to write for him originally, and I l- certainly loved to write for him on Lois and Clark. Um, I also became friends with Michael Landis, who was Jimmy Olsen, who sure. I, I really thought Michael had a great performance that first season. And I, if it was up to me, I certainly wouldn't have replaced him, even though I'm sure the actor that replaced him is a nice guy. And he, he I, from my view, he did fine work, but I always loved hanging out with Michael Landis, but, um, because he had more downtime, I, maybe I would have hung out more with Dean, but you know, the man was always busy. Um, but Dean, you kind of liked to write for, I, I guess I was torn. I, I think Dean and I, I, I guess all I could say is you, you, you you got to write for the big guy. Okay. So what's the most fun to do? Well, writing Superman, that's pretty cool. Okay. (laughs) So that's, that's kind of, and, and Dean's nice enough. So you're rooting for him and it's great. So that's probably where the most fun is. What I liked about writing for Terry though, was her ability to really, uh, 
have those acting chops that may let her ground our series, which was essentially kind of frivolous, kind of fun, kind of light and airy. But, you know, every once in a while you'd write a scene for Lois and, and, you know, you'd have tears in your eyes, Hmm. you know, or you'd, or you'd, you'd be smiling and, you know, whatever. Uh, She just really, I I remember one moment with her just being in her bedroom kind of having this moment of realization of like, I don't really have a lot in my life. And she's just eating ice cream. Um, It it hit me. It hit me really, really, really right between the eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Took it very personally. I I understood that, you know. She is fantastic. And now I'm not going to tell you who did this. I'm just going to give you this little tidbit. I was there on set the day where someone uh, was using one of those insurance accident measuring wheels and was measuring the distance from – the stage to Dean's trailer and the distance from the stage to Terry's trailer <laughs> um, because, because allegations had been made and I'm not going to tell you who made it. Very interesting. You know, and, and I'm not going to blame them on the two actors. It might've been their representatives, but somebody uh, had people out there measuring the literal footage from trailer oh. to set. And I think they were two feet different and I think they moved the trailer. Oh, that's too funny. What a cliffhanger to leave us on, Bryce. That's yeah. well, it's not even a cliffhanger. I yeah, I like to have keep my relationships alive. I'm not telling that one, but it was a funny moment. I mean, <laughs> where you just kind of go, okay, only in Hollywood, you know. I'm yeah. right. I'm working on a Superman series, and uh, we're measuring trailer uh, distance. It <laughs> so. sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I think you guys have a great show, um, and and I really appreciate. How you're, um, you know, keeping the flame alive for a very important show in my life, and I think in the lives of many, many people who really dialed into what Lois and Clark was about. So, thank you for doing the good work. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Bryce. Thank you for taking the time to talk with us and uh, trust us even before uh, an episode gets up. We we really appreciate it. Yeah, it means thank a lot. You. To up, us. up and away. See you guys. <laughs> bye bye. See you. Have bye, a good Bryce. one. Good night. Bye. There you have the interview, guys. It's future past us future again. Future past us again. Uh, just, just glowing with with post interview glee. Bryce was Bryce was awesome. Yeah, just a really sweet guy. Uh, so so generous to to give us that time and just really responsive and just you know a professional man. He knew what he was talking about. He had lots to say. It was great. Amen. Too. And like we didn't even get into all of his history because we we didn't have time to. But like he was chairman of the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences for right. a while. I really like, did want to ask him about that. Awesome. And he's written a ton of books. Tons very, of books. very learned in UFO conspiracy. Which... Yeah, I really wish I, I, I could just do a straight interview with him about <laughs> UFO conspiracies. But Start I did my best. Start your own goddamn podcast. Yeah, I did my best to you know keep it tight and uh, focused on the show and his other show. But the real conspiracy I'm concerned about is yes. who do you think it was with the wheel measuring the distance between oh. the trailers? Because <laughs> I have my thoughts. I, I, I honestly, I. I don't know. I have arguments in my head for both. I, me too. And he, I really here's do. the deal. Like you watch Terry and Dean in interviews, especially at the time, they're really, they're really cute with each other. There's, there's one interview. Um, we should put it on the site maybe um, where they're talking about like what it's like to do, to do love scenes like, later on. Spoilers. They get together. You know this. Oh, um, fuck, man. But like whenever they're going to do it, she puts a special type of lotion or oil on her neck because she knows 
he it's like a cucumber mist or something maybe uh, but she knows he likes the the smell of it oh, so that's like that's adorable. her doing something for that's him and adorable. i'm like okay that's kind of cute you know yeah, like i like that that's <laughs> that's so funny to there's me. work behind their chemistry which right. is nice but like you said maybe it was just a public uh, publicist thing you know it's possible which which i'd buy but i mean uh, who do you think it was? I don't. I, I honestly, it's a flip of a coin. I could see, you know, Dean. Here's, nobody, nobody could blame anybody. I'm, I'm an asshole as it is. Oh, I me too. I didn't. Just I mean, get, no, I'm not. <laughs> I didn't just get this job where I'm playing Superman on this big hit show. So, like, imagine what that would do to me. Yeah, you yeah, know, that could definitely inflate the ego pretty quickly. I, I could see that. Um, not At to the mention, same time, he also he also uh, had been injured recently. Well, I don't know how recently. I don't think it was that recently. Sports. Um, <laughs> he was on wires. I mean, like he was he was a fit guy. Okay, so that so that theory is out the door. So it's not because he his knee hurt. And and, and you know I, I I love Terry Hatcher. I love her as Lois Lane. I love her as as Paris Carver in the Bond movie. Sure, and I love Desperate maybe Housewives. Maybe she had a little more star power that she wanted to push around Des- a little. Desperate bit, Housewives possibly. has has some uh, has some baggage behind it with with all those ladies. Yeah, so, I, yeah, you know. But I mean, there's a precedent. It's possible. It's totally possible. I really don't care. I don't either. I think but it's I like that it happened. Yeah, it, <laughs> it was a nice. It was a nice thing to leave us on. I really liked yeah, that. Absolutely. It, was a, it was a nice inside behind the scenes touch. Uh, back back to our our guest of honor there. Uh, Bryce uh, does have a book out, like we said earlier, and like we said in the interview, and, and honestly, it sounds pretty pretty cool. Yeah, I'm probably gonna have to pick it up. Yeah, um, and after kind of going into the uh, wormhole that is anyone's website, like. Mm, gonna watch a lot of his uh youtube videos about ufos again like we didn't even touch but like if you go to his website there are so many projects yeah he's up. a busy guy yeah dude. what about his production company we didn't even talk we about didn't that. talk about yeah, that we, we didn't talk that. about um after disclosure at all right which i'm which i know really, you were really, really into but yeah. you, you could talk you i'm gonna send, i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna send you an email bryce uh, just just of praise probably. by the way story by credit on atlantis the disney yeah show the disney flick uh-huh. what I loved that movie. Yeah, <laughs> like, we solid. didn't talk about that. Really, really cool guy. Um, links for all this stuff are going to be up um, on the website. Uh, we're going to tweet about it. You know, like if you're interested, the stuff is readily available. Also, Bryce Zabel, uh, Zabel, shit, Bryce Zabel dot com. Check it all out. Yeah, do it. Cool stuff. <laughs> Look him up on Facebook. All, all that, all that jazz. And uh, just like any other episode, you know, comment, post, tell us what you think about the interview. Uh, uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Yes, um, yes, please. And I know, uh, you know, we're getting this up uh, early because uh, we wanted it to be close enough to the release of Bryce's book that we could actually maybe help him with a little promotion. Yeah, so we're squeezing it in next to one of his episodes, luckily. So that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is why we put up uh, the oh, first two episodes. Oh, we didn't pilot. get what? to the bottom of 102. Oh, God damn it. Oh, God damn it. <sighs> Damn he it. like slipped through our finger. That way, oh! I, to- I there's three times that I, I was getting ready to to do it, but he was just talking about such interesting stuff that I, I just I just it totally slipped. One hundred two gate was was almost solvable. Well, maybe maybe he'll be kind enough to maybe answer an email about it. Oh, we should see. At one see. point, we'll yeah. we'll shoot him that and see what happens. Um, anyway. So that remains a mystery to us. Um, sorry for anybody who hasn't seen the show in a while or is like ryan and and hasn't seen it before we talk a little bit about uh some later episodes of his i don't think any spoiler like spoilers guys they go to smallville and kryptonite comes into the series so 
Yeah, we didn't get too into that one or or his other episode. So, you know, very minor spoilers. Yeah, yeah. Um, But regardless, still awesome episodes. You'll hear us talk in the episode where we cover Green Green Glow at Home about how much we absolutely love that episode. And we haven't even talked to Bryce yet. Yeah, that was... We recorded how many episodes? Six? Seven? Before we uh, did this interview? Yeah. So... Yeah, that worked out really well, though. I'm glad. I'm glad we postponed posting. Oh, my God. You know what we're doing? What? We're doing our own episode 103 gate. What we produced mean? this out of order, and we're airing it. Oh, before. fuck. Oh, look how into the show we We did this for you guys. It was on purpose. Yep. We planned this from the beginning. 100%. Um, anyway. Look, we just didn't... I, I have no idea what the reason for that <laughs> would ever be, so I'm just going to stop that bit. <laughs> Uh, anyway, thank you guys for listening. Uh, we know we just premiered this week, so hopefully everybody's enjoying the show. Um, honestly, you know, we do record ahead of time, but not so far ahead of time that we can't fix stuff or talk about stuff you guys want to talk about. So please tweet at us, uh, you know, check us out on Instagram. Yeah. Right on our Facebook wall. Um, also there's always Lois and Clark at gmail.com. Please, mm-hmm. uh, and if you uh, know anyone who is involved with the show or you think would be oh, an interesting t- guest, oh, yeah, uh, drop us a line. That. We'd be happy to have them on. Uh, it was a real blast interviewing Bryce, and I'm sure it'd be fun to interview anyone else involved. So, yeah, let us know. Absolutely. And we're working on some more interviews like this. I, I'm we're, we're never going to tell you who we're after until it's booked because that's just... That's just common I don't, sense. I, I always feel bad when they do that in podcasts and then it's almost like kind of pressuring that person into yeah yeah which we don't want to which we don't want to do to anybody yeah i mean it's I've seen which it by the way bryce if you don't so. want to answer the the <laughs> episode 102 103 gate like we're not it's fine it's cool we understand um but yeah so please uh, let us know what you think of the show should we be talking more about where metropolis is should we be talking more about um how great Terry Hatcher's hair is this season, which, by the way, which best consistently good, consistently good. This is, yeah, there's gonna be some haircuts later on for both of them that that we're gonna have to get through together. Uh oh. Yeah. Okay. But um, honestly, please let us know uh, what you think. Uh, like us on Facebook, blah blah blah, Twitter, blah blah blah, Instagram. Do we have? No, that's we've a, done that. We've done that plug three times. Okay. Check out Bryce's book. <laughs> Check yeah, out check the out links. Everything's, everything's in the. In, in, we're gonna post all the, these links, so check them out. You guys have a, have a, a great after the show because it could be any day. Oh no. Oh boy. Here, oh this boy. is the best outro we've ever done. Um, also, keep an eye on the Facebook. Um, we're gonna be doing uh, some little raffles and giveaways and stuff here and there. So um, keep an eye out for that stuff, and you might walk away with some cool Superman stuff. So. Yeah, look forward to that. Look forward to it. But thank you all for listening. Um, uh, thank Bryce for us, if you ever see him. <laughs> and uh, for Lois and Clark, I'm Matt. And I'm Ryan Albertson. Folk off, everybody. We'll see you next week. This concludes our broadcast day.